But the thing is, is that we see the end result and we think that that's where we have to go to immediately. And you can't compare your starting line to someone else's finish line. Hey everybody, what's up? Today on the show, I brought on for the second time, Jason Zook. Jason is one of my mentors and a super successful entrepreneur who I've been following for years. One thing that I can say about Jason that I can't say for most influencers that I follow is that he has a very unique way of writing and communicating to his audience. If I was to read one of his emails without ever knowing who sent it, I would immediately know it was him. So that's a pretty unique skill by itself. And we are here to just talk about that. Jason just wrote a book called own your weird and it's all about how you can get your way in life while still being you and also how to double down on what makes you unique as soon as i saw the book is coming out i asked jason to come back on the show to discuss it and he said yes so here we are and we're also doing a book giveaway this at the end of the episode so uh check it out look out for that and participate last but not least we discussed membership sites jason has his wayne wondering aimfully membership along with his uh, wife caroline and it's going really well for them so i wanted to pick uh, his brain on the topic of memberships versus course because i'm very interested in that as well enjoy the episode everybody and own your weird let's do this <laughs> Yo, 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 what's up, creative entrepreneurs? Sagi here, and welcome to the Creativepreneur Show, the podcast where digital creatives share their stories on how they've instilled greatness into their own lives and the lives of others. We will discuss strategies for online businesses, personal branding, mindset, design, digital marketing, storytelling, high achievement, and so much more. Everything we need in order to build our influence, our brand, and our businesses in order to build a life of impact. All right. What's up, everybody? And welcome to the show. And today we have Jason Zook. Jason, what's up, my man? Hello, Sagi. Good to, uh, good to be back with you chatting again. Yes, it's awesome to have you back for the second time already. And it's actually the third time of me like, kind of like talking to you on the podcast because in the previous podcast we had one. Now we have two. The more time with you, man, that's gold. So I'm happy for it. <laughs> I appreciate it. I'm, I'm here to, uh, to ch- chat about anything you know, you want. I, I'll go all directions. That's part of like just kind of my ethos in life. And, and especially like I know we're going to talk about this new book that I have, which I don't yeah. care to promote. I just more mean like that's just my life is talking about all the different random things. So it should be fun to see where this goes. Yeah, man, definitely. And I'm, I'm lo- definitely wanting to talk to you about the topics of the book because obviously, um, so first of all, to anybody that doesn't know, Jason, uh, publishing a book, as of, as of this recording, the book is not out yet, but probably when it's, uh, when this recording will go live, the book will be out, right? And so uh, it's called Own Your Weird. It's basically about owning your own true identity. But, and it sounds amazing. And, and you sent me a transcript. I, I read a bit through the different chapters. But I just want to say, like, it talks about so many things. So first of all, it's like embracing your own self, like not following any specific patterns, which is something, by the way, a lot of entrepreneurs do, obviously. You know, it's kind of like building your own value, like your own principles for yourself. And also, you, but you also talk about other things. You talk about money, minimalism, like those kind of things. So first of all, dude, what brought you to writing this book, this specific book? How did you get to the topic? Yeah, so I wrote, I wrote my first book in 2013, which was called Creativity for Sale. And at, when I wrote that book, literally the only things I'd written up until that point were tweets. So I had like, tweets. And then I decided to write a book. Those are two very different things. <laughs> and it was, 
it was quite a process. It was a big kind of like self-discovery phase. And, and I will say that it was actually really cathartic for me writing that first book. Like I was going through a lot. My I Wear Your Shirt business, which we've talked about before, that I ran for five years. I mean, it really took a toll on me. And I had a lot that I wanted to share that I just couldn't while that business was going on. Most of it was just all the bad stuff because <laughs> I shared plenty of the good stuff in real life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that first book was a really interesting journey just through self-publishing, through coming up with a creative way to, to write a book and make money from the book. Uh, and I knew that when I set out to write that book that it wouldn't be my first because I already knew that I was on this kind of weird trajectory, if you will, through entrepreneurship and that I kind of saw like I would just do a book every couple of years and then just write about what I'd learned, all the lessons and like kind of share all that. And it yeah. just felt like a fun way for me to be able to express all the things that I was learning and, and share the stories of what I had gone through because I do live a pretty unconventional and weird life. I do start a bunch of really weird businesses that most people wouldn't. <laughs> um, and I think I also make a lot of weird decisions, you know, like taking a social media detox back in 2014 when no one was doing that, right? But like now you can find articles on every site of why you need to detox, why there's 12 things that become enlightening when you take a social media detox. You know, it's like yeah. all of that stuff that I, I kind of just like stumble into early on, I think. So Own Your Weird is just, it was the plan to have the book written. I was gonna self-publish, but I decided kind of after the journey of the book uh, meandered through and I had the first draft done, had an editor go through a full structural edit of it, and then Caroline, my wife, actually did a full edit of it because she's an amazing writer. And nice. I kind of felt like, oh, this is, you know, this maybe has a little bit more than just like a self-published book. Maybe a traditional publisher can really help like lift it up a level, like take all of their experience in editorial and thought process and things. And yeah, so I, I had an unconventional way of doing that, a weird way. I, I created a book website called Dear Book Publisher. And the whole goal of that site was... <laughs> basically to tell the traditional publishing industry to come to me instead of me pandering to them, yeah. um, which is ostentatious a little bit, I know, but it worked <laughs> and it helped me land an agent and she is super awesome. She's been amazing throughout the whole process. Nice. She got me a bunch of phone calls with different publishers and uh, we ended up with two different deals on the table and then I went with Running Press. And so from there, they helped me kind of like restructure the whole book, you know, still keep the stories but really weave through this narrative of owning your weird. Uh, yeah. So the book was actually titled Do It Differently when I first started writing it, which I really liked. I mean, that was like a good title. It felt good. It feels like me. Um, but the more that they talked about it, they're like, if you see two books on a shelf, one says do it differently and one says own your weird, you're going to gravitate toward the own your weird. Because I think uh -huh. everybody now, kind of in the time that we live in, appreciates being weird. You know, it's like, the people you look up to, the people I look up to, the Elon Musks of the world, like these are all weird people. And there is something about that that we kind of push aside as ourselves, our weirdness, uh, both in business and life and relationships. And so I just, I really liked the frame of that and I thought it was fun. So yeah, that's kind of like the long winded journey of, of how this book came to be. And it's been fun. And I, I plan on writing more books kind of in this like entrepreneurial life that I'm living. Uh -huh. um, just because I think it's a really interesting journey that not a lot of entrepreneurs do that. You know, there's not many that kind of just could keep putting out books because I think most people like find their thing, stay in their thing. And that's kind of where they live. Like, I just love to explore and try all different weird, crazy ideas. Yeah, man. And I think that, like when I saw the title at first, like Own Your Weird, I ex like exactly told myself like, that's perfect. That's a perfect name for your book. Like no matter what's it about before I even open the chapter, <laughs> it's, it's like, because you know, I've been I I've known you for a while. Like I 
first time we were in touch was maybe 2014, 15 or something like that. But obviously I've been, I've been following him for before. And, and so like knowing everything that you've done and, you know, now seeing like Onion Weird, dude, perfect. So <laughs> congrats on that title. And you touched on a couple of things. So first of all, just to say on your first book, you said I found a, a, a way to uh, self-publish like a, so that was like, that was crazy just to anybody who doesn't know. So Jason got sponsors for every different page of the book, <laughs> which is pretty freaking crazy. So it's one of the things that I, if, if I tell someone about you and they're like, uh, and they don't know you, then it's one of the things that I mentioned. It's like, yeah, I wrote a couple of books, but not like one of them. Like it's <laughs> yeah. you. Uh, so anyway, and then the second thing, this book specifically, when you first wrote it, you put like, is this the book where you put yourself in a room and you put live and you, and you basically like, you put live cameras and people could watch you while you're writing, right? Yeah, so I was having dinner with my wife a couple of years ago and we were sitting there and, and it was like late 2017. And I told her, I was like, I think I'm ready to write my next book. And she was like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, it's been almost four years since the first one. so you know, we've done enough stuff, like we've changed things, there's a lot to talk about. And then I remember like kind of five minutes passed and I was like, I think I want to write the first draft publicly for everyone to see. And she's like, okay, like classic, like just like a super weird thing to say, but like most people would just say that and then they wouldn't do it. So I decided to do it. And I kind of like just drew up like a little uh, environment of what that could look like. So I didn't want to do it in a Google doc because it just felt like really easy and anyone could do that. Yeah. Um, so I kind of always take these ideas just like one step further than most people would. Uh, again, being weird. <laughs> and I, yeah, bought the domain watchmewrite.co. I hired a developer friend to build basically just like a really simple writing app for me to use. So on the back end, I couldn't see anything except for a blank document. I didn't even have like bold, italic. I didn't have any tools. I could mm -hmm. just write. That's all I could do. Yeah. And it was great because as a writer, if you know, it can be so distracting even just to have markup tools <laughs> to look yeah. at, which is why so many writing apps don't have any of this stuff. And, and then on the front end of the website, if you were to come to the site, you would see the actual document that as I was typing and like a little avatar of where my cursor was. So like if I jumped back up the page, you'd see where I was. Um, and then you had a chat where you could chat with anyone else who was watching live. And then every once in a while, I turned on a camera and just like said hello and did things. But most of it was just watching me write specifically and then chatting with other people. And it was really fun. I had no idea if people would care. I mean, like how boring is it to write someone type a document, right? But this is the world we live in. Like we live in the voyeuristic reality TV want to see the stories of everybody on everything. Right. Uh, and yeah, over, over 10,000 people watched me write the first draft in, in two weeks. Uh, I, I finished it. Yes. It was 80,000 words by the time I was done. I think people tuned in from like 15 or 20 countries around the world, which is really cool. Wow. And the best part about that project, like most people would be petrified to have people watch their first draft be written. Mm -hmm. I didn't care at all. First drafts are crap. Everyone should know that no matter what you're making, the first draft of an app, of an article, of a newsletter you write, of a book you write, of a video you create, like it's all going to be crap. So just yeah. knowing that it was fine. And the great part about the way that I did this was as I get stuck with writer's block, as every writer does when you're writing, I would just hop over to the chat on the front end of the site and be like, hey guys, it's me. Um, I'm stuck. Do you have any questions? <laughs> and at all times there were like 10, 20, 50 people watching and wow. they'd be like, oh yeah, you were just writing about minimalism. Like, how'd you get into that? Like, what was the beginning? And I go, oh, I didn't even write about the beginning. Okay, cool. Bye everybody. And then like come back in and like start typing. And then I would just tell those stories. 
so it did become a really fun way to do it. I actually got some sponsors for that, which was really fun so that I could basically afford to build the site, cool. afford to pay an editor. Because again, I was thinking I was going to self-publish at that time. So I was like, I need to make some money because I haven't sold any of the books because the book isn't even written. Yeah. Uh, and it was just really fun. It was a fun experience. It added, adds to the funness of the book, the weirdness of the book, obviously. Uh, yeah, very unique, very different. That's awesome. And then like after that, you did that and then you wrote the uh, Dear Publisher. You had the Dear Publisher webpage. I'll link to all of those, by the way, in the show notes. So it's pretty, <laughs> pretty amazing. So by the way, did you know that in 2000, 17 i think it was so i also like i said i want to write an, an ebook for my pixel perfect audience and i went to a conference and he, the guy let me sponsor the conference like digital sponsor and then he said you can have a booth and i said i don't want a booth i want to just I'll, i'll bring my own thing so i brought a box a transparent box and i said inside i brought a bow tie and dressed kind of like a writer with you know <laughs> like really dressed like a writer from an eye stuck image. And then I just like sat inside a transparent booth in the middle of the conference the whole day and wrote the ebook. So it was funny. It was like writing live, like people walking oh. around, like watching this weird guy sitting in a booth and writing. So it's cool. Um, yeah, I love it. It's 100% owning your weird, right? Like it's just yeah. doing something fun, doing something unique. Like those are the things that I love. And that's, that's some of the stuff I talk about in the book too. It's like, if you're gonna have a sponsor booth at a conference, don't get a table and like the things that, and a banner and like everything that everyone else does, like do something right. different from everybody else. And I think that's so much of what's just important when it comes to promoting yourself or your business or whatever it is that you're doing is the way that everyone else is doing things is not the way that you have to do them to be successful. Sure, it's easier just to put up a table and a banner and stand there and hope people walk up and talk to you because that's kind of the space you're in. Mm -hmm. But Your thing, I'm sure people talked about it. I'm sure people still talk about it. I'm sure you still get random emails from people like, hey, you're that guy who sat in that booth and was like <laughs> just writing, like at the top, you know? And, and those are the yeah. things that they become the little like sprinkles of marketing that you do throughout your career that, that add up to people looking up to you for things or subscribing to you or buying from you or any of that stuff. And you may not see an immediate result when it happens, but it does really resonate and it does really help you stand out from every other person on the internet who can do all the same things that we can all do. Right. And, and it's, it's kind of like when you on your weird, you kind of like enter a world of authenticity, which you haven't been in yet. And I guess a lot of people nowadays, they, they want to be Jason Zook. They want to be Pat Flynn. They want to be like, oh, like Russell Brinson, some, some Grant Cardone, some, you know, other, like everybody has their kind of like heroes. Uh, I just had a conversation with a friend and he was telling me, and he's like, he's a, an amazing person. You know what? I even had him on this podcast. It's like, like one of the best episodes ever. Like, but he just told me, but yeah, you know what? who I want to be like? Brendan Bouchard. And like, dude, like, listen, you, you don't need to be Brendan Bouchard. You need to be you, 100% you. Like, you don't, like, so I think it's, it has a very true statement nowadays where everybody tries to be kind of like the, the big, they're big heroes. But my, like, I guess one of the things that I'm struggling with and, and, is like finding, finding that true weird me over and over again. And also I'm, I'm a bit feeling embarrassed to be 100% weird me on the screen. And I'll tell you why. It's because like ever since I know, I've known you, if you sent an email, I, I don't need to see Jason Zook on the title. I know Jason Zook wrote it, right? Like your style is yours and, and it's noticeable. And I think it's one of the things that made you who 
who you are, like in terms of like following followers and, and business. A lot of people, and I'm afraid I will, I can get there too, is if you try to be weird, like your true authentic self, then you, you, it's, you come off weird. And then when you come off weird, you don't come off as a brand, which is elegant or a brand, which is luxurious or a brand that people want to like, would say, Oh, like this guy got a $2,000 product, whatever I'll buy it from him. This guy's just like the guy who makes, you know, weird jokes on YouTube or whatever. Like, so how do you, how do you get past that? Yeah. I mean, well, there's so many things. I think the Brendan Burchard thing is so interesting because it just goes back to the quote of like, and take anybody's name, right? Like Gary Vaynerchuk, Tim yeah. Ferriss, Brendan Burchard, Seth Godin, like take anybody in any industry, there's already one of those. So you're not going to be the next one of those. You're not going to be another one of those. There can't be another one of those. You have to be the one of one of you. Yeah. And I think that the really interesting thing about any of the people that we all look up to, we all follow, we all appreciate is that we only look up to them because they've run so many marathons in their lives. And I mean that metaphorically, but also if you follow marathoners, then maybe it's also literally, but you know, we look up to these people because they've been in the trenches. They've spent, you know, so many years doing the thing that they're doing that now we can see the fruits of their labor. We can see the fact that they're like this really polished person, this good person. Like my wife is actually just, she's really gotten into this lady, Rachel Hollis. And I don't know anything about this lady, but she said something yesterday. She was like, I'm watching her on stage in these videos and she's kind of like the female Tony Robbins, if you will. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I'm watching her on stage and she's so polished and she's so on and she's just great. And she was like, I kind of wondered if she was always like that. So my wife went back into her YouTube channel like two years and it's super small events. She's really like, not awkward, but maybe like a little bit uncomfortable. She's reading from some note cards. Like it's not polished. It's the complete opposite. But the thing is, is that we see the end result and we think that that's where we have to go to immediately. And, and one of the things that I mentioned in the book, and I, I've now said this a bunch lately, which is like, you can't compare your starting line to someone else's finish line. So when you're getting started, and even when you're in the first couple of years, you have so many things you have to figure out. And, and I think you're at a perfect place where I'm maybe even just like a little bit further along than you are, but you're at the place where I was a couple of years ago, where it's like, who am I? Who do I want to be? What do I want to stand for? And I think what really matters and what I've figured out, at least in my own kind of like life and lifestyle and business is I have to figure out what like really lights me up. Like what gets me motivated and out of bed every single day. And for me, that truthfully is putting weird ideas out into the world. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean how people perceive them. It doesn't mean how well they do financially. Those are all things I can't control. So it, there's no bearing on like how that makes me feel. I mean, it does make me feel something, but it's not the thing that drives me. What drives me is going, I want to make a weird thing happen. I want to write my book publicly. I want to kind of like push this public dear book publisher site in people's noses. Um, <laughs> you know, I want to just do these things that are different because when I do them, I'm like, man, I feel so me. And yeah. I think for you and for anybody else listening or watching to this, if you can figure out what that is for you, and that may take time, you may have to run multiple marathons in your life and whatever that is. So you may need to write hundreds of articles. You may need to record hundreds of YouTube videos. You may need to put out hundreds of podcast episodes because you're not going to find it right away. But as long as you keep trying and you keep kind of mining through that stuff, that's when you really figure out what it is. And just to get back to your point about the branding and kind of like how people perceive you, that's a slippery slope, right? If you're always trying to kind of cater to what people like, 
you're always going to be running up against something, you know, because you could get to the part where like your brand feels just use your words like super luxurious or super elegant. But then all of a sudden, like maybe the culture shifts and it's like, oh, those things aren't in high regard anymore. And like now people want like, I don't know, like really retro or, really, you know, and it's like, oh, well, now I have to go be those things. And so if you're constantly kind of chasing that stuff, mm-hmm. it's going to change. But what you can do is just be 100% you, like figure out exactly what that is. And that's actually truthfully a big part of why I wrote this book is I know so many people who they want to be themselves. They want to feel like they're showing up every day authentically and all those things but they don't really know how to do it. And they think, oh, I can do this in business, but then in my life, I'm kind of a shell of who I am because I don't want to ruffle feathers in my family or in my friendships or any of these things. And to me, it's all intermingled now. Like we live in a time when everything, even if you work a nine to five job, showing up who you really are, it matters across all the other things you do. Um, So that's a big part of like, there's little own it sections in the book of like little challenges that I give you throughout all the different parts of your life to just really hone in and be you in all those different areas. Cause I think that's what really matters. Right. I mean, I, I, I definitely think that it's the recipe that, that will get you to win and over like overcome the noise in the industry because now there's like such a high, I don't know, like so much noise out there. Like you are competing with so many different messages that are being shut down by algorithms and fast loading feeds and like different social media outlets like you just can't get to where like your message just can't get to anybody that quickly can i ask you like what is in the book like what's the thing that you're most excited about like what's the chapter that you're most excited about um it's funny probably the marriage chapter which sounds incredibly (laughs) weird to say but like I, Caroline and I had this incredibly weird journey through figuring out what a marriage or a wedding looked like for us. And it's because we were both falling into a lot of like the societal expectations and the familial expectations. Um, and, and we pushed against those and I pushed very hard against those. Uh-huh. And it wasn't until we really figured out like, oh, we can actually define what this is to us and what this looks like to us. And we don't have to do like the picturesque white wedding and we don't have to invite a whole bunch of people and do all these things. We can go to some cliffs here in San Diego, like actual cliffs. <laughs> we can take tequila and donuts. We can dress in like a way that feels really unique to us. That's not like very stuffy or, you know, uncomfortable. And we can just have it be our thing. And we can write like our own vows and like a little moleskin journal and like just stand there and be. And yeah, of course we're gonna have like photographer and videographers where you can capture it. But it was still so much just about us and who we were. And that really became like this huge mental shift for me. And people listening to probably like, I don't care, like I'm already married or I'm not thinking about it or whatever. But the chapter is more about just figuring out like even something that is so kind of like constricted in our society, like it's just supposed to be done a certain way to really push against that and to figure that out. And, and I think that's the thing that's kind of repeated throughout all of the chapters of the book is just to really rail against the blueprints, the recipes, the things, and just figure out, yes, of course, having a recipe for making something, you need to know what goes into it to make it successful. Like having a business, you need to know that like, yeah, you need a website, you need a good checkout system, you need a good product, you need good customer support, like you need all of those things. But the way that you do it, the way that you make it happen can be completely different from anybody else. And that's when it's gonna matter and that's when it's gonna really resonate. And yeah, I just think that that marriage, it's also funny because we got married after I wrote the first draft of the book. 
So like I had to rewrite that entire chapter, which was kind of a fun mental journey for me of like updating it and being like, hold on, no, like we got married. Like I said, we weren't going to get married and I had to like update it. So that was kind of a fun part of it as well. Nice. Awesome. And I think that what you just said is like so true. I believe that in user experience, which is what I come from, like the field that I come from, there's something called like habituation, which means no matter what app, we're like what iPhone you're using or what Android phone you're using. Like we're kind of like used to the usual experiences, right? Although some of them and a lot of them are pretty shitty. Like if you mm-hmm. take um, Audible, for instance, and you try driving your car with the Audible car mode on, that sucks. That is a really bad user interface. Like, like how come like nobody actually solved even like navigation while you're driving in the proper way and different things that you're saying like, people in the industry, somebody should solve it and now, but we're just used to stuff. So designers, when they come to design, they just get, they, they don't know what to change because they're like, oh, that's the way it should be, no? And, and you're like, those geniuses at Apple probably did it because they're geniuses at Apple, um, the, the best yeah. designers ever. Like, no, they're like pretty probably stressed with tests and they've done things quickly and now we get to choose and we get to, so one of the tasks that I give my people, my students is to get, find a problem that they can become uh, unhabituated about and solve that problem visually uh, in the UI. So I think the, it's a great thing in life also to kind of like look at, okay, what's, what's everything that you do, right? Like what's working, what's not working? How, how do you make it yeah. your own? Yeah. And I think a part of that too is, you know, there is, there's also a line to be drawn, right? Like you don't, not have buttons on a purchase page because you want to be weird, right? right. Like, no, you need right. button. Like, those need to exist. Like you need to get in it. Don't hide them. Don't make them gray. Like they need to be front and center. And so there are certain things in life that you do, whether it's in business or relationships or anything where it's like, yeah, you need to show up and do the things that you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. However, the stuff that kind of gets you to that place, you can own it. You can do it your own weird way. You can do those things. And I think one of the things for us that has just been so important, and you know this in the UX space and the UI space and the design space, is experimentation is so important. And that's something that like I've just done instinctually for years through everything that I've done, through all of the things. And, and really experimentation comes down to testing assumptions. And I think when you're a designer, because that's how I started out, I mean, many years ago, I'm not a good designer at all now, but like, I love the fact that design is so much about testing assumptions, you know, like, does this color background make someone take an action? Does this text, you know, lead into this image? And does it feel like you're going to know how you're getting through this article or story or whatever? And you can see those things working themselves out. But a lot of places where people stop, and I think this is such an important lesson that I learned over the years, which is like, what does the actual data tell you? Or what do like, and what do people tell you? And so you can have a beautifully designed anything. You can have a beautifully written anything. You can have a beautiful YouTube video, whatever it is. But if it doesn't actually make someone feel something, if it doesn't actually make someone care, then it doesn't matter. And I think that's where Apple always wins and has won for so many years, just as an example. Their products all make you feel something. And, and that to me is, is a big part of owning your weird is like, how do you, number one, feel something for yourself and all the things you do, but then whatever you're putting out into the world, whether it's friendships or any of these other things, how does it make you feel? And how does it make you actually like light up and want to be a part of whatever that is? And uh, yeah, I, I think that I'm mixing a bunch of metaphors and things here, but I do think it's just experimentation and testing assumptions have just become some of the things that are so important. And it's exactly what you're talking about too. And some of this stuff is just, it's scary. Like it feels weird to go against the norm. It feels weird to 
uh, test an assumption that you're really afraid of, which could just be trying to sell the first thing you're ever trying to sell. And you're afraid everyone's going to say no, or they're not going to buy or whatever. But at the end of the day, none of that stuff is actually going to like cripple you, you know, personally, it's not going to actually make you feel terrible and like you're a bad person. It's just going to make you go, Oh, okay, that didn't work. Let me learn why that didn't work. And let me move forward. Right. I mean, and listen, like, Everybody, in a way, like owning your weird is also about owning your own true identity, but also owning your, your self-esteem in a way. It's like, I decide that I'm going to do this. I decide that I'm this person in the world. I am powerful. Like, obviously, like you're, you're saying to yourself, I'm, I'm, I'm powerful. I, am, you know, I can attract a crowd. I can do what I want to do in this world and make it work. And I think I just saw a video today about why, why the lion is, is the king of the jungle, do you know? Mm-mm. So obviously there are way bigger animals that can just squash a lion in the jungle. I mean, like elephants and you know, other big mammals that can probably kill a lion, but the lion is the king of the jungle. When a lion sees an elephant, he thinks lunch. So it's all about attitude and it's kind of like, this is the lion's attitude. The lion decided that he's the freaking king of the jungle. And that's his attitude. And when he sees an elephant, he thinks, lunch. And so the, the thing about people that are not owning their weird or their attitude or like they're owning their, their craft a lot of the times, because you know a lot of the creative entrepreneurs that are our crowd is like, are like really into their craft. Like I'm all about like SEO or design or like, right. And like, I'll be the best designer, but I'll have very low self-esteem. Like, can I get followers? And that's why like the craftsmen's, uh, the craftsmen and, and women work for the people with less skills, but with the right attitude. And I think that is like, once you get the idea about it, I think it's like, it makes sense. It's all interconnected, kind of like owning it. And as you said, making the right choice, what's right for me, you cannot have buttons. You cannot not have buttons on a landing page, but if you just strip it all down and say, okay, what's this for me? And then why do I want this page? Okay. To convert. What do I need to convert? Okay. Button. Let's have a button. You know, I'm, we're getting married. What do we need? What do we want this to do for us? Okay. First of all, we want to document it. We want to have it and show it to our kids and grandkids or whatever. So let's have a photographer. Like you chose the things that you chose because you want to choose them. So you come out of a position of like self-esteem, confidence, and therefore you're really owning it. Like that's 100% you. So I think it's, yeah. And, and I think one of the things you touched on there too, like in the confidence part that I've thought about a lot is this idea of what it takes to become confident. And I think for a lot of people, it's a, it's a kind of a, a big thing to think about. It's like, oh, well, how can I be more confident? Like I'm just getting started or I don't know anything about this. And, and confidence, I think, just comes with time and it comes with testing assumptions and it comes with experimenting and it comes from realizing that you're not going to get it all right in the beginning and you're not going to get it all right in the middle and you're probably not going to get it all right in the end. But the key is to figure out like what you really feel like you bring and what you really feel like matters. And and that's not to me just in like a thing that you sell or in a way that you present yourself on Instagram or any of that stuff. It's really just about going, I'm the type of person who does things or I'm the type of person who creates art or I'm the type of person who consistently writes. And I think the the big part of confidence that people miss out on is consistency. And so someone wants to be a YouTuber. They want to be the next Casey Neistat or whatever. Again, you're not going to be that. You're going to be your own thing. But it's they'll do 12 videos and then they'll give up. Or even they'll do 100 videos and they'll give up. And it's like, 
you're, you don't want it bad enough to show up consistently enough to have the results that you want. And, and that's, that's just a real thing. That's just the time that we live in. It's the, it's the way that things are. And I only know from experience for myself, like I did 1000 live video shows almost in a row every single day in 2009 to 2013. Do you think I was confident in the first couple of shows? No, it was miserable. It's so awkward. You can go back and find them. They're terrible, but I showed up and I continued to show up and eventually amassed over a million views across all those live shows. And by the end of it, I mean, it was so comfortable. Like I just, you know, I flip on the camera. I didn't care. It was great. It was easy. I could talk to anybody. I could do anything. But in the beginning, it wasn't like that. And it's never going to be like that in the beginning, no matter how hard we want it to be. Yeah. And no matter how much we want to avoid pain and fear and, you know, all the things that normally hold us like we all deal with these self-doubts and, and imposter syndrome feelings. But you just have to repetition your way through all of that to get to a place where you go, yeah, I am the lion of my own domain. You know, like I do feel really confident in this and it's because I continue to show up consistently. Right. And, and it's just like it connects to something Hal Elrod said in his, uh, in his book, um, The Miracle Equation. It's like have unwavering faith for an unlimited amount of time and you will see miracles. So it's kind of like it's just that. Right. I mean, you, d- you just have to do it again and again and again and again until you get right. I, I know people like like myself, like, listen, I don't have a big crowd in the U.S. yet. Right. Like I'm just like I had a hacking UI. It was pretty got pretty big. Then we dropped it. And now, like, I'm building this new community, the new community. I, I rebranded it from Mindful and Ruthless to Creativepreneur. Lost half the crowd. Now I'm rebuilding it. Like, I'm OK with that, though, because I think that message is the same message. I'm still, you know, t- talking about creative entrepreneurship. I'm still talking to the same kind of crowd about the same kind of topics. About I'm still trying to build a lifestyle business, business like in in the best way that I can, and, and talking about the topics that matter. I think while doing so, and I'm you know showing up again and again, and therefore I know the grow the crowd itself will grow, and I'm not like looking to have two hundred thousand followers yet you know, right from the get-go. A lot of people, I guess, are just looking to have that big crowd. And if they don't see the big crowd in, in a very short amount of time, then they, they just give up. Because, you know, if you get like two likes on a video that you put your whole, like, your whole week into, then, you know, you feel kind of like maybe this sucks. But um, how did, how, what were the tips that you can have for those people, like usually when they talk to you about that? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things that you touched on there. I'll, I'll start with the last one, but then I do want to go back to like audience size stuff because I think that's really interesting. But, you know, like our YouTube channel. So I had a YouTube channel before our current Wandering Aimfully one that got thousands of views on videos like as soon as they were posted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it feels good. It feels good to get a lot of people commenting and liking and watching videos. And now our videos get a couple hundred views. And sure, they get like a good amount of likes for those views and maybe a couple of comments here and there. But this goes back to the very beginning of our conversation. Like, I only believe that the the videos that I'm putting out need to be determined as successful by hitting publish, by hitting upload. Mm -hmm. And after that, it's out of my control. I can't control how many people view the videos. I can't control how many people like them. I can't control how many people comment on them. Would I love to have those things be more? Sure, but I can't control it. So why would I let it control how I feel? And that's the big thing for me. That was the big shift when I went from a YouTube channel that had, you know, something like 10,000 views per video, a quarter of a million views per uh, month. And, you know, now we get hundreds of views per video and thousands of views. And it's, 
it's kind of a joke to most people, but here's the funny part. And so this, this actually goes right into the audience thing. We're getting close to what we've defined as our enough number for our household. So we want to make $30,000 a month for our household. So we've broken this down. If anybody wants to actually go see what, what this is and why we've chosen this number, it's at wanderingamefully.com slash 330, wanderingamefully.com slash 330. And this idea is that we've defined the amount of money that we want to make. So a lot of people have goals for money. They have ideas for money, but they get stuck where you were just talking about like an audience size. So it's like, Oh, I want like this many people follow me. I want this many people in a group. I want this many people to like my stuff or follow or watch my things. And what people don't do is understand how the amount of those people relates to the amount of money that you make as a business owner. And so for us, we're actually going with a finite amount of money. Granted, $30,000 a month is a lot of money. I'm not saying it's a little amount of money, but it's also a capped amount. Like once we get to that number, that's all we want to do is get to that number and stay at that number. And my, what I really am excited to have happen is, is we're actually, you know, we're not getting close to that number. I think we'll be there in about a year, but we're two thirds of the way there uh, toward that enough number for us. And then we have a hundred views on YouTube videos. We have, you know, like my Instagram following is so small compared to so many other influential people. And, and here's the irony is that I think you've seen it. I know I've seen it. I know we've all heard stories of people who are influential or have big audiences, but they literally can't pay their bills. They can't get people to buy anything from them. And it's because as great as it can be to have lots of people following you, if there's no substance to it, if there's no value exchange to it, which is all business is, it's just an exchange of value, then what does it matter? Like, I'd rather have a couple hundred video views feel like, okay, like, yeah, it doesn't make me feel great about how many people watch my videos, but we make $30,000 a month. Like, that is the thing that I think for a lot of people, they don't actually go through and do the hard work of figuring out like, what actually matters to you? What are your real goals? And, and defining those things and then looking at the things that you're doing to see what really matters in like the grand scheme of the metrics part of your business. Yeah, and, and I think that um, what you just said, so in, at FlynnCon, do you know, by the way, do you know that FlynnCon happened in San Diego? I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. My okay. good buddy Caleb works with Pat and I know Pat, oh. Pat wrote a blurb on the back of my book. Right. So yeah, okay. I, we didn't end up going because we were just about to travel or just got back or something, but I uh, heard it was good. Okay, yeah, yeah, it was, it was awesome. And so one of the keynote speakers was Shalene Johnson. She was um, talking all about how authenticity can basically overcome all the algorithms, no matter which social platform. And I think it's exactly what you're talking about, like very, very similar to what you're talking about is because it's true. Like when you're authentic and you care just about coming up with yourself, not trying to be anybody else, then your numbers will, will maybe still be small. It doesn't freaking matter because your engagement will be this, you know, big. And today people met like people, even like if you, if you get sponsors, they want to ask about engagement, not the number of followers you got. And she showed an example of this uh, girl who was uh, trying to play it like an influencer or whatever and got like hundreds of thousands of followers, probably all, most of them fake and stuff. And then she launched this, uh, she launched this, uh, I don't know, $5 product or something like that and nobody bought it or like, so she showed like an actual case study of like some big influencer, so, so to speak, like someone that looks like a big influencer, which totally miserably failed just because again, she was playing by numbers and not by just being her true self. And you can see how fake she was on her account. So I think it just, 
is very optimistic message to everybody out there. Like, hey, you can definitely be yourself, have little following, but still make money, have an online business and yeah. build your lifestyle the way you want. And I think the, like, the fun thing for us is I actually am hoping all of these numbers stay small for us. Like anytime we get like a little spike of growth or whatever, I'm like, oh, hold on, just like slow down. Number one, because I've had a big audience before and I remember what it was like to have to deal with hundreds of emails per day and hundreds of comments per day. And as much of a first world problem as it sounds like, if you genuinely care like I do about customers, like you know, you're in our, yeah. our membership community. When you send me a message, I reply back. There's no <laughs> right. one else. Like right. I want to be there for you because that's what yeah. you've signed up for and that's what I believe in. But you know, we, you know, staying at these small numbers, like our email list is 7,000 people. That's it. Like we don't have some huge like James Clear email list. It's like half a million people on his email list. Yeah. That's great for him. We don't need that. And I don't want that. And, and I just love like these places in, in, in business where you can see clear metrics of I'm spending time here, I'm getting result there. That's all that matters. And, and really for me, off of that is, am I showing up? And, and that, that's it. That's, that's all I care about. And, and so many people are just chasing after the wrong metrics in all of this and they're chasing after the views and the followers and these things. And that Sagi is, it's a never ending treadmill. You know, it's, it's like what I said earlier about trying to keep up with like the luxurious, elegant, like that stuff tastes are going to change. So people's attention is going to change. It's going to go away from Instagram or whatever to something else. Mm -hmm. You can't try and keep up with all those things. You just have to keep up with what you feel like actually matters and is moving the needle for your business or your life. Right. And I think your way of like thinking about growth is not a must. It's not a must. And, you know, just think what you want for yourself uh, resonates with Paul Jarvis's new book as well. So, right, it's kind of like company of one and he's talking about like challenging the growth assumption in businesses. And um, obviously you guys are very good friends and have podcasts together. So it uh, makes sense that you guys think, think alike. Mm -hmm. And it's a great way of thinking. Like I've really, I also kind of like thought to myself, like in 2000, when 2019 started, I was like doing, like looking at the numbers from 2018, I had massive growth, multiple six figures and all. And I'm like, okay, so what's going on in 2019? should I try to grow to seven figures, whatever, like, and I'm like, even if I can, I don't want to, I just, you know, I have different goals for myself. So yeah, it makes sense. And right now it brings into the, to, to a topic that I wanted to discuss with you. I know it's not about the book, but maybe it is in a way connected because we're talking about creating like the, the income that we want for ourselves. And you chose a membership for that. And I'm considering starting membership and would love to maybe get your advice on, on that because I know it's like on one hand, I'll tell you my, my thing, right? Like, so memberships, uh, the way I see them, it's great, can create predictable income and are great because you can always pitch them because it's the same thing. It's more kind of like a community. When you pitch a membership, you're like, hey, join my community. But on the other hand, you get a lot of people which are not coming committed when they don't have a high price point so I'm kind of like afraid of dealing with everybody and then like shutting them. Like if they get access to all my courses and, and now they opt out after like a month, how do I like, you know, I don't have the, the bandwidth to, I can gauge VAs and stuff, but it's like, it's a whole other level of bandwidth to deal with those people. So that's my worries besides obviously the low growth of income, which is not like a course where you get like boom, cash flow. It's like very small growth. 
Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we obviously have some really unique experience with this. So uh, Wandering Aimfully, for people listening to this, have no idea what we've done. So we created this <laughs> membership community last year, and it's a $100 per month membership community. And the reason it's $100 per month is you also get an online course platform that I, I own called Teachery which helps you build online courses, which is $50 a month by itself. So just in itself, you know, you get an online course platform. Then on top of that, we have like 30 plus courses and workshops um, that you get access to and a Slack community and a bunch of other stuff that we do. And, and so before Wandering Aimfully, we had a productized version of this. So we called it Buy Our Future. And mm -hmm. essentially you would buy into what we were doing as a product. And, and the idea was it was $2,000 and we had a payment plan for it, but you looked at it as a one thing that you're buying into that you don't have to think about for the long term. Like you're gonna mm -hmm. buy it and then you just keep getting stuff forever, you get everything we make. And yeah. so our Wandering Aimfully membership is that, but the thing that's tricky is that it kind of felt like it was ongoing, right? Like you never felt like you were gonna stop paying for it. And it's like you said, a lot of people that buy memberships or look at memberships, they think about them as a lower cost item. And so even $100 per month, like not many of us pay a hundred dollars a month for anything in our businesses that isn't like a specific tool that we use that like really runs our businesses. Yeah. And so it's a higher price point. And, and we have 100% seen the challenges of, of this. And, and so we've tried a bunch of different things and actually it's kind of fun that we're talking about this at this moment. So we, we kind of made a pivot uh, about six to eight months in where we said, okay, let's go back to a hybrid of the buy our future idea with our monthly membership model, which is you're only ever going to pay us $2,000 total. So just pay that in a payment plan of $100 per month, or you pay it all at once. And that's kind of the shift. But we still call it the Wandering Aimfully membership, which I think in people's minds, yes, there may be an endpoint to their payments, but it's a membership. So they think about it as something, oh, I can cancel that next month if I'm not getting value or I don't see the long-term benefit or whatever. And so what we've seen over time nice. is that you know, we have about a 30% cancellation rate for this. Uh -huh. And, and it's, it's high. Our cancellation rate for buyer future, which is kind of an unfair comparison, but it's all we have, is like a 5% cancellation rate. Wait, but just just to make sure like so when you say cancellation rate what do you mean like in like people that opt out before they pay the full 2000 yeah people that opt out after paying one month like they'll pay one but, month 100 bucks and then they'll be like oh i want to cancel this isn't for me so shouldn't this be a metric of lifetime value for a customer it should and it, it is that's why we actually went to the like okay let's actually pitch this back to people as the lifetime membership not as just like an ongoing monthly forever membership because mm -hmm. the data showed us that we weren't getting past like four hundred dollars per member on average mm -hmm. and so when we shifted to the lifetime membership it actually doubled the and we've only been doing it for a couple months so we don't have as much data as we uh -huh. do in the beginning but what we're actually going to do so here's the other thing about memberships that uh, are very different from products so a membership community, whether you're a part of one or you sell one, there is an expectation of ongoing value being given. And right. so that means every month or some frequency, you need to give people things. You need right. to inspire them, you need to motivate them, you need to teach them, whatever that looks like that is. And there's some type of schedule that they need to expect that on. Yeah. That in itself is a lot of work. So you have to figure out, does that fit into your business model? Do you wanna be creating things on an ongoing basis? And for us, so we, we've dealt with this year, Caroline had crippling anxiety. Like 
really, really bad. She could not work for six months. She couldn't even open her laptop and she just felt awful. And our business model being a membership is very difficult. It then became, you know, just me doing everything. And so when you're down one person in your business as a two person business, it's really hard. And so it kind of showed us, we don't really want to rely on something where we have to show up all the time. Like I don't Uh necessarily believe in truly passive income businesses. Like I know people like Pat Flynn, they're very, I think, rare breeds who got in early enough. They've done enough things. They, you know, really hit a lot of things at the right time and, and have a really good way of teaching things. But yeah. I think for the majority of us, passive income is a very elusive thing. Mm-hmm. And so the way that I want to think about it is the lifestyle business idea where how do we shift this to something that we enjoy doing where we can still have some type of monthly income, but it may not be a membership. It's more just people's payment plans for our main product. So our shift is kind of going to be to a hybrid where we're going to remove the word membership. Mm -hmm. We're still going to have like 10 month payment plans for people so that they can stretch them out and have more affordable payment plans. Uh But we are going to do something that you mentioned and touched on, which is we're actually going to raise the price back up to $200 per month as our lowest payment option. Uh Because even at $100 per month, it's something where I just don't think people are like super confident that they can A, afford it. We hear that a lot. B, feel like they're really like getting the value exactly so so actually raising the price is going to be a really interesting experiment for us to see how that keeps engagement how that keeps people doing things taking action etc so you're you're going to now not have people be able to opt out like it's going to be like um framed as a as a payment plan 10 10 Yeah. And people, people can always opt out. So like, that's one of the things for us too. like, I've seen people sell stuff and they're like, there are absolutely no refunds. Like you can't cancel if you buy. And I'm like, listen, you you can get a refund. Like I don't ever want someone to be unhappy with me because they bought something to bring them value. Like we, we just don't live that way. Like that's not how we want to be treated. So it's not how we treat our customers. So, you know, at any time, if, if someone buys in this new way of doing things and they feel like they're a month in and they don't like it, they can get their money back. They can cancel. They can stop doing it. And I just right. know that to me, that creates enough goodwill and trust with people mm-hmm. that we've had people come back. Like we've had people come back from, uh, you know, buy our future who canceled after a couple payments a year yeah. or two later and go, Hey, I just was in a really bad place. Like I'm in a much better place. Can I pick up where I left off? And I'm like, yeah, you can pay me another thousand dollars. Sure. <laughs> like I'm, I'm happy to do that. But if I would have told them two years prior, absolutely not. No cancellations, no refunds. That person would never come back. And then they would just be angry at us forever. Right. And I think that it's a great way of thinking about it. It's definitely like something I've been thinking about, like, because right now also, um, so the membership thing, I was thinking about doing it for my uh, international audience, like this audience, creative printer. And I'm like, okay, what do I want to give that I can say, okay, you know what, $49 a month and let's begin, let's do something. But then again, like, because the, it's like a low barrier of entry and it's still 50 bucks a month. Then you're like, yeah. right. Subscription. Like you're saying, you're like, it should be a very expensive software that you're really using, right. relying on for your business. But if it's just a membership, we have enough memberships going on, subscriptions going on for everything that we do. And people kind of like hate subscriptions, I feel. But then on the other hand, I get the feeling, I don't know, like from the, from the online space that memberships are, just beginning to be a thing and are, are taking over one-time offers. So I think what you're doing now is like, um, so what I have now is a launch in Israel for my uh, best-selling uh, bundle. I have it on Monday, so I'm coming up. And um, 
it's it's a, it's just a bundle. It's kind of like a it's about like five hundred dollars or whatever. Like, and I said to myself, I wanted to make it a membership, but then I canceled out on this thought because I said, all right, this will just have to be a um, at one time, or if you want, I'll just have a very long payment plan for that, and that and I'll frame it as kind of a membership. But you're saying not frame it as a membership because you just frame it as like the program. Yeah. Yeah. And I would think about for you, like you're, you're like us where you're going to keep creating stuff for people. Like you right. want to keep making things. Yeah. And I think for that, it's really just to come up with, can you create an option? So it's like with everything that you sell, maybe you have the like, just buy this thing option or buy the like creativepreneur, uh, you know, bundle or the creativepreneur package or the creativepreneur, you know, whatever. And, and that becomes the thing that's not a membership, but it's almost like they just know they're going to get everything from you if they buy into that. And, and really that's where you start to look at like, what is your customer lifetime value? And mm -hmm. so when you have customers that span multiple products, like that's why we went to the buy our future model is because what we found was our average highest customer was $1,000. Mm -hmm. And that was like, 2% of our customers paid that much. And so my thought was, well, if we can get everybody to be our highest lifetime customer value up to $2,000, we're winning. We're, we're doing the thing. Like we're, yeah. we're winning a business as best we can. And, yeah. and I think that those are the decisions that most people don't make because they don't look deep enough at their own data to really understand, am I selling to a lot of one-off customers or am I selling to the same people over and over again and multiple times. And if I'm just trying to constantly increase their customer lifetime value, sure, that's okay. That's not as long as they're getting value from you, that's fine. But also, can I give them like maximum value of what I'm going to make looking a couple of years in the head and going, yeah, I should just sell them one thing and get more money from them, but have them feel like they're going to get more in return and not have to ever make purchasing decisions from me. That to me is a nice option of the two. And so that's really what we're going to do going forward is we're going to start testing this with a, a live group coaching program that we're going to do in October, where we're going to say, you could just buy the program. I think we're gonna do it for like five or 600 bucks and it's three weeks live. Uh, it'll be recorded, but like you want to show up live because it's the, the recorded stuff is not going to be very actionable for you. You want to show up live or you can join Wandering Aimfully, which is our package. And we're still figuring out how we're going to position it. And it's not a membership. It's your one-time purchase of everything we make at this price. And so yeah. kind of comparing those two against each other gives a customer a really interesting decision of, do I just want this thing? Or if it's a little bit more to upgrade to everything, let me upgrade to the everything. And, and then for us, it's just the payment plans that are the extended runway of, of making money and the monthly uh, recurring revenue, the MRR that everybody and you know we all love to look at. Yeah, I mean, it makes so much sense. And again, it's kind of like looking at building a lifestyle business because I hate like having too many things in my calendar. <laughs> Um, and I got to a point this, this year of having too many things in my calendar, like private coaching calls, group coaching calls. Like I have two masterminds. I have like a, a critique for my students in, in my class in Tel Aviv. I have critique for my online students. I have a WhatsApp group that I'm, I'm support. Like I have like so many different things. And then like a lot of them are in my calendar and it's just gotten to a point where it's like, <laughs> it's really tight. So um, yeah. I can't bring on new projects without just looking at my calendar like three times and I hate my calendar. So yeah, I, I feel you on that. I, I, it makes total sense and not committing to, you know, being there and showing up every single week uh, again and again and again, you know, I guess it makes sense. And, yeah, and, and this, yeah. 
This is a phrase that Caroline and I have said to each other for a few years now, which is, what is it all for? So if you're trying to grow a seven-figure business, and I know that you're not trying to do that anymore, but maybe there was a time that you were, look at all the things you have to do just to get to where you are. Now imagine you're going to have to do more than those to get to that next level, right? And then you have to ask yourself, what is it all for? Like, okay, sure, I might make more money, but I'm going to have less time, more stress, probably have to hire someone so I have higher expenses. And now I'm just going to be all of my calendars are full. All of my time is completely taken away. And for what? So I can have a little bit more money that I'm just completely stressed out about. And that for us is why we've set that enough number because we don't want to be on the hedonic treadmill of money making. We don't want to right. be on the treadmill of audience growth. We right. want to establish what's enough for us because we know that if we hit that number, it doesn't mean more live calls. It doesn't mean more customer service. It means the same that we have now and it's completely manageable. And yeah. that for me is just such the sweet spot of life. And especially when you work for yourself or you're trying to work for yourself, really defining, like really defining what matters to you. And, and it's an exercise that I talk about in the book, which is your minimum monthly magic number, which we call our mm number. <laughs> and then your enough number. And the minimum number is just a like foods on the table you're taken care of, but like, ugh, it feels tight. And your enough number is some level above that, but it's not Brendan Burchard money. It's not Tim Ferriss money. It's not Gary Vaynerchuk money. It's not, it's Sagi money. It is like what matters to you and the life that you want to live. And you actually look at what that really means. And you answer that question, what is it all for by going, yeah, it's not about a seven figure business. It's about a couple six figure business that I really feel like I can manage and do almost my entire self without my calendar being overflowing. And I love it. I love the community. I love the work I'm doing. I love the people I'm helping, the products I'm creating, all of that stuff when it starts to align that's when you know that you've quote unquote made it. And, yeah. and I think a lot of people don't think that way. They think of the like, I have to be the next insert name to have made it when it's not true at all. Right. So there's like, on that note, by the way, like I, we're, we're, we need to finish like in just a couple of minutes, but I want to, like, I think it opens a whole other discussion of like thinking about long-term assets right? Because I mean, we obviously we need to set the number that is our number. On the other hand, we still need to think about our pension and our, and our families and how do we support them in long term? How do we invest in proper assets? And for us, like for us people, it's kind of like mostly online assets, I guess, but you know, uh, making enough to later have maybe real estate and, and have like different kind of stocks or whatever. So it's an interesting conversation to have. I guess it's the next level of like, okay, most people are stuck in a phase of making money. Right, we're kind of past that, but now the question is, okay, so how do you, okay, and with that money, what do you do in order to build the proper assets, I guess, but yeah. And you know, this is, so we actually have a post that I wrote about this, uh, it's at wanderingaimfully.com slash money. And right. we talk about how we invest our money and, and how we think about money. And it's, it's a post that I probably could go back and update because I think I wrote it about a year ago and we've even had some things. But it's a little bit nice. like the conversation we had before about the, the, the button on the page, right? Yeah. So the button on the page that you don't change that you need that makes sense is some long-term investing. So mm -hmm. whatever that looks like to you, so like for us in the States here, investing in index funds is just a no-brainer. It's like you're, you're investing in the entire economy of the U.S. And, and, you know, a lot of the world. Yeah. 
Um, so it makes sense. Like it's slow, it's steady, but over yeah. time it has just gone up, up, up and up. Yeah. So if you want to invest in stocks, you're gambling. You're just playing with you know money that is going to potentially go away. But investing in index funds over the long term, it's a smart move. So however right. you want to do that, that to me is like the bare bones investment that you should be doing. And so for us, we have an account that we kind of like pull money off of our business accounts into, which is a completely separate account. That's our investment account. And then cool. that account actually shoots off into what we have, which is a whole life insurance policy, which mm -hmm. takes care of two things for us. Life insurance, which is just great because as solopreneurs, both of us, yeah. if one of us goes down, that would be really unfortunate for the other. So there's some type of coverage there. But yeah. that account also is an investment into index funds. Mm. So it accrues interest for us. So that's the like, to me, that's the putting the button on the page. And yeah. truthfully, it's boring. It is like <laughs> the most boring thing ever because you don't get to do anything with it. So, you know, then we also try and look at like, what are some other ways that we can invest money or do things? And, and one of the things that you touched on, which is something that I've done for years, and I didn't even really think about it this way. I just kind of naturally did it was building your own assets that have kind of unlimited growth potential. So for me, one of those assets is Tea Tree. So Tea Tree is a very small online course platform that I started a couple of years ago. It has now grown to nothing that anyone's going to be super excited about. $7,000 in recurring revenue per month. Over five awesome. years, no marketing, no yeah. sales, just me. I had yeah. a co-founder. I bought him out recently. But here's yeah. the beauty of that application. It is a complete lifestyle business. And right now, yeah. I'm investing a bunch of money in a developer to add new features, to update it, to make it better. Mm -hmm. And I know that in a year, that monthly recurring revenue will probably one and a half times yeah. growth. So probably yeah. around 10 grand, 12 grand you can't do that in other things. Like yeah. there's nothing that you can really do in like the investment world to go, okay, I'm going to spend like a little bit of money and I'm going to one to two X my investment. Yeah. You have to build assets to do that. So that's why I love building little software projects and I have no expertise. <laughs> so yeah. I'm just a guy who like thinks of ideas or sees kind of trends and things and goes, Oh, I have a weird way that I want to do that. <laughs> I have a different way I want to do that, but I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. I'm just going to create something that's my own version of this that I would use that I would find valuable. Right. And out how that can be a long-term thing. And just to give people a little bit of extra context, I've now created five or six different software products. I only <laughs> have Teachery left. So all mm. of the other ones have been sold. They yeah. did not work out as long-term planned assets. Mm -hmm. And that's okay because it's all a part of the experimentation of all of this. Right. And Teachery, like $7,000. I guess people would, most people that I coach just want like, you know, <laughs> about that per month and you're making it passively. So here we go. Like a great, you know, yeah. great and, example. And I said earlier, like, I don't believe in passive income. I guess you yeah. would call it a passive income business, but I also spend, you know, a couple hours a week on it. I think about it every single day, you know, it's yeah, 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 for sure. But it, it, it's just one of those things where I think the it's, it's been five years to get to that point too, you know, and I've worked on a bunch of other things, but it's also mm -hmm. an application that we use every day. So it is very valuable to us. And, and here's the beautiful part of Teachery. I don't ever want it to compete with Teachable. I don't ever want it to compete with Udemy. I don't ever want it to compete with any of these other platforms. I want it to be like a 10 to 15, maybe $20,000 monthly business. Yeah. Maybe that's in five more years, but I'm the only one running it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm it. I make all of the money. I make all of the decisions. It, it works flawlessly for the most part until a bug hits it, which it does often because that just happens in software. Yeah. And that's it. It's a beautiful thing to do. And so 
you do have like the long-term investing stuff where you do the stuff that works, the buttons on the page, the, the index funds or whatever. But then you also do build some assets and you invest time and money into it because you know that there is an exponential return that you can't get from anything else. And it will take more risk. It will take more stress. It will take more energy, more effort. But there is a lot more kind of long-term value there. Uh, you just have to be willing to invest in it for many years to go. Yeah, dude. And, and I think that it's a, it's a great, great investment. So on, on that note, I will have to skip off um, now. But before we do, dude, your book is freaking amazing. And I want as many people as we can to have it. So how about we do a giveaway? Sure. So how about we do a giveaway of 10 books? I will buy 10 books and we will give them out. But I have, so one of them though, if you can, I would love signed. And then like, so we can have 10 books out of them, one signed. And then for you guys, everybody listening or watching this to uh, get it, what you have to do is just take a snapshot right now of this episode on your iPhone or whatever, and then share it on social media. And no matter where you want, like Jason's not on all platforms, but uh, he's on Twitter, pretty active. And you can just tweet it or Instagram it on your stories or whatever and like tag us, if you find us, tag us, and so we can see it. <laughs> Otherwise, it doesn't happen. And just write like, you know, what is one takeaway that you had from this episode? Or just write like this episode was great or we didn't like this episode you guys suck or something like that that's right anything sure own your weird and uh just do something weird you can even put a weird face with the picture of this screenshot and just post it and uh the weirdest one will get the signed copy and then the rest will get the first 10 uh will get the um just a regular um copy which is good enough it's pretty awesome so that's awesome Sigi. i really appreciate it cool for sure and uh, dude, it was great talking to you again. I can talk to you for hours. Um, I just have <laughs> another call, so I really have to skip to the next thing. But dude, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Really appreciate it. It's so valuable. Like all your, you have like an amazing, uh, you have like amazing insights that come from a lot of experience. But again, a lot of experience that you created, not like, you know, the usual experience. So really appreciate you, man, for everything that you do. Keep doing what you do and uh, I'll catch you on the next episode, I guess. Same, man. Right back at you. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this episode with Jason Zook. I really, really enjoyed talking to Jason. As always, this book is freaking amazing. So I want for once, like, please participate in the giveaway. It will help the podcast grow, uh, expose it to more people, and you might win a book. That's one thing. Second, no matter what, go get that book because Jason's freaking amazing. I'm not kidding. So, <laughs> and this book is amazing. He already um, let me in on a copy and it's, it's just really amazing. So check it out. Have a great day, night, wherever in the world. And I will catch you on the next episode. I think that's so much of what's just important when it comes to promoting yourself or your business or whatever it is that you're doing is the way that everyone else is doing things is not the way that you have to do them to be successful. 